Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Adam's Mystery Playhouse podcast. Adam's Mystery Playhouse is Colorado's only full-time mystery dinner theater. I am your co-host, Nick Guida, and with me today, uh, as always, is my partner in crime, Marn Wills Cuellar. Um, and how are you keeping today, Marn? Oh, just doing great, Nick. Uh, had a wonderful lunch, but I got to tell you, we've got eight inches of snow out here, and it's still coming down. Eight inches on the west side. That's right, on the west side. And do stick around. Later in this episode, we will reveal the solution to last episode's mini-mystery. But now, I would like to introduce our special guest for this episode, Chris Holling. Well, hello there. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited. It's good to have you around, Chris. I was trying to think, how many years have we known each other? Way before we had the Playhouse, yeah? Uh, Yeah, so we... uh... Actually, I think we met right when you got the Playhouse, and that was 06, I believe. Um, or it was maybe a year before that, because that's that's how we how we met, was it was right when you were starting off and you were looking for people to kind of start to staff the place. Well, actually, I watched you in a piano recital when you were a teenager. Do you not remember that? Oh, no, that's that's exactly the time, because uh, the, <laughs> the, the story on that that I, I still tell, because it still makes me laugh, was uh, I was performing at a piano recital, and it was very standard for people to... Uh, get up and and bow and they say I'm going to play this and then they play and then they bow and then they go sit down and it's all very nice and very formal and I I got up there and I played my piece and I I I don't even remember exactly what I did I was just like all right that's what I got for you guys uh, thanks I've been great or something that is just not normal for the cause and you guys came to me at the ice cream social that followed the piano recital. Uh, you and Carlos did and said, you know, you, you, you were silly up there and you're the type of type of person that we're looking for. So we should, we should coordinate sometime. You should come check out our playhouse. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's because you are not normal, Chris. And that's why, <laughs> and I gotta, <laughs> I gotta tell you, that was the best rendition of chopsticks I have ever heard. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was so, so memorable that I don't even remember playing. Yeah. Chopsticks. Why not? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, but that's, yeah, and then several years went by, and then you did come into our acting troupe, and uh, I think what I saw from you was good performance, and then when you took those improv classes, oh my gosh, you just yeah, notched so way up. That uh, that time frame, uh, it, was, it was right before that that I'd taken my first ever improv classes, and it was around the time that we met that I had just started working at Casa Bonita and started doing my acting and diving there. Um, and right. uh, that, uh, that same time period, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I came to you at the Playhouse as soon as it opened as a sound guy because I had a pickup and it would help move stuff. That, that was my, <laughs> my hiring criteria. And uh, I think I did one thing and then forgot about it and uh, about a year or so later came back when I was on the hunt for a job and started doing photography for you guys and was taking pictures of shows for the webpage for a little while before I finally did my first kids show around 08, I believe. Wow, you have uh, a good memory. 
Uh, it's huh? it was you know it was trying times, and when you when you go through as many twists and turns that 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 hurt deeply, then uh, you remember those moments and. And you show how you grew from it. I, I don't know. No, it was it was a great time, and I always enjoyed when I was doing the photography through that. And uh, then when I started doing the kids shows, is how that started taking off. And then I took some time at uh, Madcap when that that's what Marn's referring to uh, a couple of years later to try and improve my improvisational skills. And uh, they they had a great program that was running out there, um, and I, I feel like I learned a lot then. Yeah, you're, you're, you you really amped it up. And when you say improve your improv, Nick, how many times have we had on a comment card after a show, love the improve? <laughs> every show. Every, every show. <laughs> Just about every show. The one thing, though, that uh, I think we're leaving out of the story is, uh, you know, I was never that impressed with Chris's performances, but... <laughs> But when I learned he graduated from the Casa Bonita acting school, right? <laughs> then that's what I that's I what I would be a impressed. star. <laughs> when I saw that on the resume, yeah, that's that's where he started his acting and diving. <laughs> oh, did you ever play the gorilla though? See if you oh, haven't yeah. done the gorilla. Oh yeah, if 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 you want to know how to get away with murder, just wear a gorilla suit you could do anything you want so long as you look like a goofy gorilla i gotta tell you guys i have so much fun in the shows when i'm on the cast with the two of you because you yeah nick will say something chris has a hard time oh what shall we say staying in character and not cracking up (laughs) (laughs) it's funny i I just lean into it it's fine Yeah, well, you do a good job, and also connecting with audience members, and that's not easy to do when we're following a script and we're trying to keep a, a train on a track, and then, you, but but the audience says something fun, and um, you're really good at connecting with audience members. Thank you. They, I mean, they honestly make it easy. It's if it wasn't so interactive, uh, I think you'd miss a lot of those those great moments where really the show takes. It's turns because of the audience instead. Sure. Yeah. And I know, Nick, you've enjoyed working with Chris because you can make so much fun of him. That's true. I don't believe in making fun of (laughs) people like Chris. It's not, it's not what I'm about, Marn. And I, and I, uh, that's just not me. (laughs) What's your favorite role that you've done at Adam's Mystery Playhouse, Chris? Uh, I have, I have two, I don't know if that's cheating or not. Um, one of them was, uh, the, the holiday specific character. I want to say, uh, it's, it's where they had the, uh, it, Bert was the name of the character. It was a, it was a spinoff of the Mary Poppins Bert, uh, for, uh, was it holidays are murder? Is that, no, it was a Dickens of a murder. Oh, a Dickens of a murder. That's, that's absolutely right. And, uh, my favorite part about that character was you walk around with a wooden stake, like a f- piece of a fence, and uh, it had holly on the end of it, but he was convinced it was mistletoe. And uh, so I would, I, I spent my whole walk around all the time going and stepping in between couples, and uh, I would look at both of them and be like, Oi, you, uh, you want to see a trick? I Look, and I'd pull the holly 
over the the girl be like mistletoe look at that and then they'd kiss me on the cheek and i'd look at the boyfriend and be like see it's that simple and then i'd run um but uh i enjoyed the character because he was kind of kind of doofy and just able to have a lot of fun to play with but my other favorite and possibly more favorite has to be fast eddie with the murder at the speakeasy and uh i i don't know if you remember this nick but the reason that my character is the way that it is i i like to talk (laughs) i like to be a big slow dumb guy because we were going through the script one time and uh, there was a line in there i don't remember what the line was but it didn't make a lot of sense to me with the character being this uh fast eddie that i'd seen everybody else play of oh hey i'm fast eddie hey how you doing how you doing and i asked him about it. he said well when i wrote this character originally it was supposed to be a slow dumb guy but uh other people weren't taking to that or playing the character or or however it was and uh so we sort of adjust the character i was like i'll play a slow dumb guy that sounds great and i learned that if you have that character uh and you you have this ability to take time to think how you're going to respond that it made walk around and it made the improvisation of the show a lot easier because I could actually stop and think for a second because I just looked like I was losing my train of thought anyway. <laughs> yeah, so that's a fun show. Yeah, uh, But it's an interesting point you make uh, that is one of my ongoing headaches <laughs> is, is, is it's something I learned a long time ago as an actor is too many people take their characters personally Mm. and your character is not a reflection on you. It's a character. And because of that, it's, it's amazing around here and other places, but around here in, in particular, the number of people that don't want to play certain types of characters, they want to be, they, they think it's going to reflect on them personally but it it doesn't. It's your character, and also that's the way the character was written. And in many instances, as with you, Chris, if you play the character as written, you may end up actually getting more laughs and making the character work properly. But enough of acting. That's not what we do around here. <laughs> no. We had we had mentioned earlier when I say we Martin and I just briefly behind your back, and Perfect. I'm going to hand I'm exactly, but I'm going to hand it over to Martin to lead this. Uh, she made the comment earlier about how we get on comment cards. Love the improve, but um, Martin started in the business as a performer doing improv, and Chris talked just talked about all of his improv background. So we thought I'd I or I thought we'd hand it over to Martin and Chris and have some improv talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Love, the, the improv, love talk. improv talk. Oh, yeah. Once we get going on this, it's hard to stop us, right, Chris? Uh, absolutely. It's hard to stop us. Let's, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. Well, one of the things, and Chris, I'd like your opinion on this. One of the things that blows my mind when performance improv is so very different than workshop improv or improv to improve speaking skills or social skills or just for fun or or, or creative thought. A lot of people will do improv uh, workshops to get creative think tanks going and things like that. And improv in the 50s with Viola Spolin 
was used to help actors simply to do their scripts better and to get their characters better and and to think a little bit more to get into the parts uh, better it i it wasn't originally developed to be a performance piece unless you go all the way back to um uh, Commedia dell'arte in italy and the troops would travel from and gosh do you know when that was chris that was a what 1600s or 1500s uh, or i you know i i believe i left my uh, italian history in my other pants i'm afraid I, uh, what were I you thinking to tell you <laughs> uh, oh 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 i believe yes, it was around yes. the 1600s yeah yes yes yeah 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 and they would travel from town to town and they would keep the same characters much like a modern day soap opera so that when they returned to the town the people would see the same characters but the story would develop that to my knowledge, was the first performance improv. But as I got more into improv in the very beginning, doing it in the early 80s, I, when our troupe started doing shows for the U.S. military overseas and corporations, we were like, you know, stuff, it's got to be funny and it's got to be entertaining. And if we repeat the same thing that we did before, that's okay. This this is improv, but there's some of the same bits we're doing over and over because we know they'll work. Interesting point. Yeah, that's uh, a performance improv wise. That's that's a great point because sometimes you do have that opportunity to kind of set up some of the same circumstances, but leave enough room to still have the audience be involved and and take it a direction that you may or may not know. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think a great example of that. Uh, was was one actually I saw at Madcap, um, and they they had this great setup where they would do story time, and they would take five different people and they'd point to them one at a time and they would talk about uh, they would tell a story, but they would give different genres of the different story types. One would be horror, one would be action, one one would be nonfiction. Uh, but one of them that they would do that always got a laugh as simple as it was. And even though it happened in each show, but allowed improv to happen is they would have a children's category. And one of the actresses, her name is Haley Driscoll. Uh, she's doing stand-up comedy now. She's, she's great. Uh, she would always do this thing where uh, she would have the children's book sometimes. And she would continue the story with, and then all of a sudden, every time she was pointed to and it didn't matter what the story was but then it would cause the story to morph if that makes sense so it still allowed the the whole story to morph organically so that it would still be improvisation but it kind of forced changes in the improv show to happen because of uh, a simple funny bit that's technically planned but it still is different every single time Mm-hmm, exactly. And those technical anchors can make a big difference. I'll, I, I have to say three things I remember about doing improv from you. Firstly, oh, well, you remember we did Murder in the Improv Club, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that was fun. And that was you and I and Darren Ray and uh, it, what, it wasn't Doug Julie. Proctor. Julie, Julie Redson-Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and which, that, which, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that was such a, we, we approached that so uniquely because we literally did an improv show first and the murder was at the end of the improv show. And then the investigation was a little bit shorter. So we had a very long opening scene, but, but super funny. Yeah. And I was, I was going to mention that, uh, full circle, the first start of improv classes when we were talking about 
introduction here at the beginning and saying uh, I had taken a couple of improv classes by the time that you and I had met was being taught by Darren Ray because he was my high school teacher at that time. And uh, so being able to improve my improv over those years and then later on work at Adams and to work with Darren later on down the road and being able to work with the person that taught you improv was a, a great accomplishment that I'll, I'll always remember. Oh, yeah, that's a that is a cool f- full circle there. Uh, uh, another time I remember and I don't remember. I think we were doing. I can't remember if we were rehearsing or doing murder at the improv club. I I have a feeling we were rehearsing and you and I were in a scene. It was in the six feet under room at at our Mm -hmm. playhouse. And somehow the scene was in a cave or you had to crawl through something to come out. Oh no, we were burglars. That's what it was. And I was, and we were crawling on the stage and we crawled through a window and then I followed you through. And honestly, I mean, it was so, I really felt like I was crawling through a window as a burglar. And that's, you have to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to make it work, you have to live it and believe it. You have to, believe, you know, be in that moment and in that scene. Don't you think? I agree. And and actually, uh, what I, I, I do remember that bit, uh, that that moment when we were, being burglars for whatever reason, but I remember it for a different reason than you do, which is, which is interesting to me because that was around the time after I had, I had gotten some of my improv classes done and I started working on, on improving some of my improv shows. And for anybody that may be listening, that's involved in improv, something that is very, very, very important is to make sure that you are creating a relationship with this other person. If it's just two strangers, then it's a lot harder to create conflict and a lot harder to create genuine problems and entertainment through it than if they know each other. And I remember that burglar scene because you had crawled through the window and said, no, come on, you can get through. It'll be just fine. And I introduced the relationship at that point where we hadn't said who we were at that time. I said, no, mom, I'm sick of breaking into houses with you. And then that created a relationship between us where suddenly now it's funny that this mom is leading this kid into these houses to burglarize or leading them through a cave or uh, I, 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 that's, that's why I remember that occasion actually. Yeah, that was brilliant. My third thing that I, of course we've had a lot of fun improv moments together. Uh, but, but one and one of them was your bachelor. Was it your bachelor party or your engagement party? I had my bachelor party there. Yeah. Yeah, but it was a mixed audience. Your parents oh, were there. Oh, sorry. It was the uh yeah, it was our our like wedding party our because it was after our rehearsal oh, yeah. dinner. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what so it, was. it was. The entertainment post rehearsal dinner. Yeah, and you didn't know that we were going to pull you up in every single improv bit, I, yeah. every skit. I, uh, so you I knew you're after the, the second one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was super funny. And then I don't think you realized we have this structure that's called hands and somebody stands behind the person. There are two performers in front and then two people behind each of those performers and they put their hands through the people in front, cross their hands behind their back. So that the performer behind is the arms and hands of this person who's in the scene. And you played yourself, the groom. <laughs> right. And then yeah, super Dick- creative. Yeah. Yeah, and Darren <laughs> played your fiance Katie, and we put a wig on him. 
And that was so sight. He to looked see lovely. Was. He did look lovely. And then <laughs> lo and behold, you know, we're trying to get you to drink water, which spills down your, cause you, you know, the people in the back can't see what they're doing. So you're just, you're trying to, and then we pulled out the pièce de résistance, which was the, uh, Pie. W- wedding cake, wedding cake, <laughs> cake, cake, <laughs> cake, cake, and yeah. smashed it uh, all over your face. And uh, the look of horror on your mother's face, she was just like, <laughs> <laughs> but, oh my God, that was so funny. Fun yeah, times. It, it was a great occasion that, uh, because we, we were there to, uh, to we, all we knew was we were going to have an improvisational entertainment because I had performed there before and we were living in a different state at the time and uh, thought hey why not go watch an improv show and i had no idea that i would be the improv show all night and it was, oh yeah it was a lot of fun i i definitely enjoyed it yeah we hauled you up in every single structure <laughs> mm-hmm. so that was super fun but uh, uh i find that with the mysteries that we do sticking to the script is very important but and it is so cool when we fall off of it and some fun thing happens it probably will only happen one time uh you know it can never be recreated and, but then the ability to get right back on that script that is uh, you're you're you know that's quite a thing we got I totally agree with. it's no i i enjoy that a lot i love taking off on a tangent and bringing it right back and usually it's nick that throws me off of the tracks and uh i come back trying to keep a straight face and i'm probably beat red in the process uh but i i mean that's the the audience enjoys it when you're enjoying it and uh, i think you actually mentioned this in a in a previous podcast but they can tell when it's a a planned mistake they can they can smell it they it's i i don't know how to describe it but if you have a circumstance where you you go off the tracks and then you come back and it's very genuine and that's that's why I laugh because it's very genuine and I'm having a great time. They they can sense that and they don't think that it's a, a forced laugh because it's not. Oh, exactly. And audiences are very smart. I'm sorry, my dog is barking there. Are you hearing this? Yes. I heard that. <laughs> is that dog part Chihuahua? <laughs> you nailed it. Well, where has the time gone? There you have it. Another episode of Improv Talk. And as we move on, we'll start with the solution to last episode's uh, mini-mystery, the poison murder case. How had Bob Cooley aroused Professor Fordney's suspicion? You see, unless Bob Cooley had returned home after telling the professor he was going to the theater, he could not have known the library door was locked. The fact that he did, coupled with the strong motive, the inheritance, naturally directed suspicion to him, and he had inadvertently given himself away. And now we move on to this episode's mini-mystery, Death in the office. Marne will be the narrator, Chris will be the policeman, and I will be playing Fordney. So here we go with Death in the Office. The name of today's mini-mystery is Death in the Office. 
When Professor Fordney reached Gifford's office, he found a policeman already there. Gifford's dead. What brings you here, Fordney? Well, he telephoned me a few minutes ago and said that he'd been shot. Then I had a hard time understanding him. This uh, street is on your beat, is it? Yeah. I heard the shot when I was in Smith's cigar store. Took me a while to locate it. Door was locked and I had to break in. As they walked into an inner office, they saw Gifford's body, a bullet through the heart, laying in a pool of blood. Fordney stooped to pick up a revolver. It's an easy jump to the ground, observed the policeman, who was standing by an open window. Did you know, sir, that Gifford has been troubled lately by blackmailers? Yes. The last time I saw him, he told me he'd been shot a couple of weeks ago. Fordney walked over to the door and found the lock was sprung, but the key still in it. I suppose the blackmailers got him. They must have locked the door from the inside when they entered, shot him, and then jumped out the window. No, I'm afraid you are quite... Wrong, said Fordney, who was examining the key he had removed from the lock. There weren't any murderers in here. Gifford committed suicide. So there you have it. Today's mystery, death in the office. I do hope everyone enjoyed today's episode with our special guest, Chris Halling. And don't forget, uh, try to solve that mystery of the day, death in the office. Why was Professor Fordney sure that it was a suicide and not a murder? So I hope you'll join us again for our next podcast. That's probably going to wrap it up for the day. And so, uh, Marn, Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, a lot of fun. Good to, good to talk to you all again. All right, and we'll see you on our next podcast from Adam's Mystery Playhouse.